Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please be seated. Pray that beautiful thing. Yeah, I'm going to set up. Yeah, nice, very nice, very nice. Thank you. And please know you're welcome here. Welcome back. Why just make us your parish? It's only a two and a half hour drive. That's not um, You know, the sacrifice you make. That's good. Fantastic. Could be my Lenten discipline. Yeah, we hear this day the Lord speaking to his followers, people he calls his disciples, uh, who are more than students. For more than students. People have been with him for three years learning from him, being shaped and formed by him. Um, he hears them with some last words, but, but also promising these are not the last words. I will be with you all. I will always be with you. And we think about what it means to be a follower, a disciple, and we think of these curious words that, that Jesus tells us that, you know, um, you, you think the great things that I'm doing are great things, you're going to do greater things than this. And that's kind of stunning when, when you think about it. He, he, he says he... He believes that we will do greater things than the things that he did. Um, there's a, a there was a young man, brilliant young man, um, Sid Goldberg. Brilliant guy. Never heard of him, probably, right? Because I'm making it up. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a guy, Sid Goldberg. He was a brilliant student. Um, majored in philosophy at Stanford University. Did not have his parents buy his way in. <laughs> Yeah, brilliant though. Graduated with a 4 departmental honors, university honors, first in his class, brilliant philosophy student, was recognized by all his teachers as way heads above his peers, and that kind of gave him the encouragement to continue on in his studies. So he went to Harvard and got a PhD in philosophy. Specializing in logic, right? A, a special area in, in, in philosophy. Um, logic. So he thought, you know, things, things have gone really well. Um, he's got all these academic awards and, and training and, and, and thought, you know, but I am from a Jewish background, and before I think that my education is over, I, I'd like to learn something about the scriptures and the interpretation of the scriptures. And so he did what, what, what really highly educated, very select Jewish students would do. He approached a rabbi to be his teacher, to be his rabbi. And approached this very famous rabbi and said, you know, I, I've done really well, first in my class at Stanford, got a PhD in, in, in philosophy and in the area of logic, and, and I'd like now for you to kind of round out my education, fill in a little bit by, by teaching me the scriptures and the interpretation of the great rabbi. I want to be one of your students. And the rabbi said, oh, well, yeah, okay. You sound like you're pretty impressive, but, but i got to ask you some, some questions to see whether I want to take you on as, as a student. And so I said, goes, okay, well, well what's, what do you want to know? Well, have you studied the Torah? And Sid's like, oh, <laughs> you mean that's important? <laughs> have you studied the Torah? Well, no, not exactly. Not exactly. Well, have you studied the biblical languages? Are you fluent in Aramaic? And Sid's like, no, 
No, I, I, I don't know that. Well, certainly, Sid, you have like learned the Hebrew language. And Sid's like, no, Rabbi, I don't know. I don't know that either. Not so much, right? Mazel tov. <laughs> L'chaim. <laughs> you know, a few of those things. No, don't know that either. Oh, so. Uh, but you do know logic. Yeah, I know, I know logic. Okay, so um, I'll give you a test. If you pass the test, I'll take you on as a student. Yeah, okay, good, good. So the rabbi gives us this test. There were two men. Holds up two fingers. There were two men. They climbed on top of the roof of this house. And they climbed into the chimney. And they shimmy their way down the chimney. And they exit the chimney through the fireplace into the house. One has a dirty face, and one's face is clean. Which one of them washes their face? Sid goes, really? That's the test? And the rabbi nods, yeah, that's the test. Which one washed their face? And Sid says, well, logic says the one with the dirty face washes his face. And the rabbi looks at him and says, wrong! <laughs> wrong! Really? He goes, yes! Not the one with the dirty face. The one with the clean face washes his face. Because logically, he looks at the other one and sees that the other one's face is dirty and he concludes that his must be. So he washes his face. Oh. Wow. I thought all this training would have prepared me for answering such a simple question. Can I try again? <laughs> Come on, Rabbi, give me another shot. <laughs> okay, I'll give you another question. There were two men, and they climbed on top of a roof. There's a chimney. And they climb into the chimney and shimmy their way down. And they come out in the fireplace. And one has dirt on his face. And the other one's face is clean. Which one washes his face? It's just like, well, you just gave me the answer. It's the, the guy with the clean face. And the rabbi says, wrong. <laughs> wrong. How can that be? Sid, it's a silly question. Logic tells you if two men shimmy down a chimney, they both come out with dirty faces. <laughs> Sid, if you're going to be my student, ask better questions. Ask better questions. Jesus wants us to ask the better question. To ask the better question. We're going to be his followers. If we're going to do this work in the world, there's a question we have to ask. There's an answer that we need. When Jesus was a child, it would have been the custom of the Jewish people for their children around ages four, five, six years old to go to school. The school was probably in the local synagogue with a teacher who would teach those six through ten-year-olds 
the Torah. The first five books of Hebrew Scripture. That's the content of their education. Those first four or five years of schooling was about learning Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The instruction, the Torah, the way, the law. To learn that was your job in school. Now it might be, and probably was, that the synagogue had a copy of those scriptures. But the average person's home did not have those. And so the best students would memorize, would memorize. Yeah, get that? They would memorize the first five books of the Bible. And we'll be able to recite that to you in the beginning and all the way through. The best of the best could do that. Now around age 10, 11, those who did really well at that, who had memorized that and who had excelled, would go on to a second phase of education where they would start to learn not just being able to recite what it said, but they would learn the rest of all the Hebrew scriptures. So add in all the wisdom literature, the Psalms, Proverbs, all the minor prophets, all the major prophets, all the books of history. They would learn all that. And they would learn the interpretation of and they would learn that what you're supposed to do as an educated person is ask good questions. Ask good questions. Remember that story of Jesus? He's kind of gone somewhere with his family. They've, they've gone on pilgrimage to Jerusalem and, and they start looking around. Where's the boy? And they find him. Where was he? He's in the temple. And who's he with? He's with the rabbis. Remember, they're amazed at his, his knowledge. Even at an early age, right, he was exceptional. He's exceptional. So in the second level of education, those that made it onto that would learn the rest of the Hebrew scriptures, memorize that if they were really exceptional, and start learning to ask good questions. Well, what happens to those who are not so exceptional? You reach age 10, you don't make the cut for the next level, what do you do? Around age 10 is when you start taking on your parents' profession. And even if you are one of those who goes to school for the second layer of education, you also are learning your parents' profession. So around age 10 or so, that's when Jesus starts learning to be a tecton, either a stone worker or woodworker, it means both. He starts learning what his father, Joseph, does. He becomes a carpenter. And this is what most people would do. Their education would end at age 10, and then they would go to work, unless you were exceptional. Then you go on to that second level. Now, the ones who really excelled at that second level, there was one more thing for them to do. If they were truly the best of the best of the best, they would seek out a rabbi. Seek out a rabbi. And that rabbi would interview them. Wanting not just to 
know what the person knows because they assume everybody knows by that point. They know what the scriptures say. But what they want to know is, can this young person do what I do? And can they, in the end, become like me? Become like me. When I started graduate school, I was blessed to be in a, in a program where as a new graduate student, kind of at that lowly level of a, of a brand new graduate student in the program, I had access to all the faculty members, all the professors, because there were no PhD students there. And there was one of them that I took this interest in. And when I started graduate school, I wore denim from head to toe. I wore cowboy boots, Levi's jeans, only thing I wore, and had a jean jacket with a blue bandana. <laughs> I was at a highly preppy university and boy did I look weird in there. <laughs> but that's what I wore. That's what I looked like. But I met this professor and I was attracted to how he thought about things and what he thought the important questions were. And so I adopted his way of thinking about and talking about <laughs> And I also adopted the way he dressed. Started wearing penny loafers. <laughs> and dress pants. And Oxford button-downs. And ties. <laughs> Even started using the cologne he used. <laughs> I became like him. So that I might do the work that he did. I adopted that. See, that's what a rabbi would look for. Not just somebody who was capable, but somebody that they could train into their way of thinking and being and doing to do the things that that rabbi does. And these were only the best of the best of the best. It said that you were supposed to follow your rabbi so closely that you would be, as they say, covered in the dust of the rabbi. Now imagine that, right? The rabbi's walking somewhere, and you, the grad student, are right on their tail. And it's dusty, dry, and they're kicking up the dust with their sandals, and all that exhaust is getting all over you, and it's glorious that you're covered in the dumps of the rabbi. That's how close you are. Now think of what Jesus does. He starts his ministry around age 30. That's when you're old enough to be a rabbi. And he starts his ministry. And where does he go? See a Galilee. You know the stories of the calling of his disciples? Where were they? They're at the Sea of Galilee, right? They're fishing. One later he finds under a sycamore tree, and another one he finds at a tax collector's booth. And, and okay, so if Peter, James, John, Andrew, right, they're, they're hanging out at this lake and because they're, they're fishermen, what does that tell you about their education? They are not the best of the best. As Bishop Curry says, this is not the apostolic A-team. <laughs> These are not the best of the best. You know that because they're working. Right? You know that because they're working. 
And unlike what you're supposed to do, where you are the exalted rabbi and students come to you and you interview them, what does he say to them? Come and follow me. He reaches out to them and says, come and follow me. To these people who are not the best of the best of the best. He's teaching on this mountaintop. And he looks at the crowds, and it's this huge crowd of people, and, and it's the end of the day. And the disciples are kind of looking around. They know what's coming. It's dinner time. And Jesus knows what he's going to do. He goes, Lord, send these people away so they might go down to Ingalls and the gas station and get something out of the vending machine because it's late and they're hungry. Send them away. And what does he say? You feed them. You do it. Why did he do that? Yeah, he can do it. He shows us in that, that feeding, dividing the loaves and fish, he feeds them all. Why did he ask them to do it? Because he believes they can. He believes they can do it. See, the question is not about, you know, do we have faith in ourselves? We talk a lot about faith. You know, do I have enough faith to do that? I think the real thing we need to recognize is that God has faith in us. Jesus had faith in Peter and Andrew and James and John and Levi and Nathaniel and all of them. He believed in them. He believed in them. He went to them knowing that they were not the best and the brightest and said, but I know you can do this. And not only do I know you can do this, if you think the stuff you're seeing me do is great, guess what? Guess what? You'll do greater things than this. Greater things. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells those who are listening that no student is greater than their teacher. But when they are fully formed, they will be like him. That is the faith that God has in us. That is the faith that God has in us. And so keep that in mind when we hear these words of Jesus to go out, to go out, and to do the work that he has done. He has full faith that we can do that. That as he was, as he was compassionate, that he had compassion for those who were lost and angry and lonely and frightened, he knows that we can have that same compassion. That he was a merciful pastor. He knows that we can practice that same mercy. Justice, truth, and righteousness, and peace, all those things that we're called to practice, to show others, to be a source of in the world. He believes we can do that. 
for us, we need to follow. May you follow so closely that you find yourself covered in the dust of your wrath. <coughs> Amen.